But even in the meeting itself, I mean, keeping things moving, keeping it on on topic is incredibly important because if you just have this sort of rambling, meandering conversation. And if you want to have like a a long rambling conversation, I mean, you should just record a podcast. We're we're coming up on two hours. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to The Extra Dimension, the show where we explore ways technology and society intersect, which we like to call the technological convergence. I am your host, Ian R. Buck, and today we will be hearing from many guests about their experiences working from home. I won't be talking too much about my own experiences working from home because next month we'll be taking a deep dive into distance learning, so be sure to subscribe to the show so that you don't miss that episode. Find the show notes for this episode of The Extra Dimension at thenexus.tv slash TED55. So, we find ourselves forced into a world where many of us are working from home without much of a choice. This is a pretty big shift, both for the individuals who are uh, working in new environments, but also for society as a whole. So we're going to explore both angles there. Our first guest is Glenn Johnson, and I'll uh, let him introduce himself a little bit here. Yes, my name is Glenn Johnson. I work remotely since 2014 when I officially moved full-time, working remotely at that point. Um, And I've been in uh, education uh, for the most part. So whether it's online education, um, just education in general as far as teaching in person, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I've been working remotely in this position for five years and then now I've changed over in the last year to other endeavors in the education field. Okay. And so how long were you working like in person before you made that transition? Yeah, I mean, within going back to school and things like that. But, um, you know, in-person stuff, I mean, that seemed like the standard. And that was pretty much whatever the 10 years prior to that. I mean, that was just what you're supposed to be doing. And then uh, remote was an opportunity. And I was like, that sounds scary, but let's give it a go. It seems like they might know how to do it. Now, since Glenn has been working from home for quite some time now, uh, he's going to be kind of our expert for most of this episode, and uh, and I'll be interspersing uh, little clips from my other guests who, uh, for the most part, have uh, have recently started working from home just uh, when this pandemic began. First up, let's talk about one of the most basic tools of working from home video conferencing right uh and we of course even even those of us who are not working from home right now uh have had to become quite well versed with uh video calling because in addition to not going into the office to work we also uh can't really just gather in large social groups uh outside of home right now so a lot of people have been turning to video calls to keep in touch with friends and family um, and uh, and so this has kind of pushed a lot of people who normally would not be using video calling on a regular basis uh, into this world. So we've uh, we've kind of ended up with uh, a lot of a lot of inexperienced people trying to trying to use these platforms, and um, we saw early on kind of this phenomenon of Zoom bombing, where uh, folks would try to uh, get into other people's like video calls uh, and uh, and wreak havoc um, just for the heck of it, usually. But luckily, we have people like Glenn who have been using uh, platforms like Zoom for quite a while, and uh, Glenn very 
very astutely started positioning himself online as uh, Zoom Master Glenn and would happily help uh, other people uh, learn the ropes on how to successfully run uh, a good uh, a good Zoom call and uh, and how to manage large group of people that way. So here are some of Glenn's tips on uh, what to do if you find yourself uh, having to do a lot of video calls. I, I remember you talking about uh, one of the reasons that you have that that artwork of Minnesota behind you uh, in your office. Behind me, yeah, exactly. Everyone, ever on a call with me, it's there. <laughs> um, be- because you are frequently like on calls with other people uh, who you're who you're co-working with or collaborating with, and you know, it just kind of gives them that cue of like where you are, right? Yeah, because it's like this weird thing. Like, if you're from the Midwest, you talk about the weather when you see people in sure. person. You know, there's other topics now, I guess, that also rise above the weather, but it still comes up. Uh, but you know, I was on a, a call with somebody the other day, and you know, I didn't quite catch that she made a comment about like she was about to have dinner, but she could talk really quickly. And I was like, "But it's lunchtime where I am." And then I realized when she popped up, like she's in London, has mm-hmm. a clear accent that tells me that she's in London. And she was like, "Oh, what, what's that behind you? Is that a state?" And I was like, "Great icebreaker. Let's talk about Minnesota, um, which is always my favorite topic." Uh, but yeah, there's little things like that that are just kind of nice to have in your background. Um, you know, not like I, you know, pick some amazing picture for the background, but it's like, you know, this is a shortcut to say I probably like or live in Minnesota. It's always a good opening topic. Yeah. Yeah. When I when I realized that I was probably going to be ending up on video calls with my students on a fairly regular basis, I thought about like, what do I have behind me? And I just like picked out some random boxes of computer components and like, you know, stuck them behind me because that's nice and themed after the computer tech classes that i that i teach yeah it means a little bit of staging mm-hmm. you know whatever that is um in my old setup before i had like a dedicated office because of course i got hired into that not really realizing i was going to have a remote job and so it was like okay well i have like a window behind me i can't always be backlit yeah like that's not a good look when i'm on camera so i just got you know basically just a drape <laughs> to put behind me uh and people were just like oh it's this really like relaxing blue color behind <laughs> you and i was like it was just a piece of fabric that i put up but i'm glad it works um, but yeah, it doesn't have to be anything like really amazing is kind of the bottom line. It just needs to be a little bit intentional, I think, is is a good point. Um, so if you love the bookcases, you know, classic bookcases. And uh, you and I both know one person who has the big bookcase in the back and you're sort of like, you look like a professor in their office. <laughs> you know? It's like, it's kind of a cool look, you know, to have that. But, you know, and not everyone can do like an amazing, you know, they've spent hours setting up their backdrop kind of thing. I mean, that's, you know, part of the reason that like Zoom has the, uh, the, the backdrops you can put in with kind of the green screen effect and things like that which are great, you know, in a pinch, but yeah, it's just nice to have kind of a, a setup that looks like, oh yeah, you, you know, took some time to think about your background. It's not just like, you know, dirty clothes in yeah. the background. That's a good thing to avoid. But it's again, like it doesn't have to be anything sort of like perfect or amazing. Like I know some people were just like, well, I need to spend like hundreds of dollars on my setup. And I was like, no, you don't. Like that's you know kind of excessive to yeah. do that. You know, it's more just thinking about like, oh, can people you know see me with lighting? You know, do I have a backdrop that doesn't look like yeah, it's a giant mess behind me? You know, those kind of things. And is it a quiet space? I mean, that's my thing a lot of people don't yes. think about. You know, we, you know, in our old company, I did interviews. And one of the things we'd always just sort of like, you know, kind of compare notes on was how many interviews did you have this week with someone from a coffee shop where they did not realize how much background noise there were, uh, was as they were trying to be, um, you know, interviewed. It doesn't come across as very professional. <laughs> and plus they're on Wi-Fi and all those other things that people just don't think about when you're just, you know, working on your laptop at the coffee shop, you're not usually on video chat. Right. People, you know, that's a really different thing. Um, and so, you know, again, it's like, you know, we had fun conversations about like, make sure you have a wired connection to your internet. And, 
you know, it makes sense because you don't have Wi-Fi issues. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm being very bad right now. I do not have a wire connection. I feel bad. Me about neither. It, but, <laughs> right. It just, it feels weird, but it's like this, this conversation about like, well, what do you need to do to make sure that you're going to be reliable, you know, on your end of the conversation. And that's kind of one of the big things is, is your connection going to be there? Um, on the other hand though, you know, there's all the things about like, you forget to unmute yourself or mute yourself. Yep, and, yep. You know, everyone learned really quickly that that was an important thing. Um, a lot of eye rolling, I think if you were <laughs> you know, off camera, um, but it's important etiquette thing, you know, just make sure you remember. And again, like I, you know, you know, this, cause you've been on some of the calls with me when I have the power to do it, you know, I'll just mute people, mm-hmm. you know, like, and then I'll send a message after and be like, Oh, we were getting a bunch of background noise from you. So I muted you. And people usually aren't offended. They're just like, Oh, thank you. I didn't say anything. In yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> save, it saves it them from camera. some embarrassment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I've noticed that a lot with various meetings where it's still very new for everybody. There's not the culture that's built up and you know, the people that are administering behind the scenes, like they're not really willing to sort of use, I call it the mute hammer, but they're not really willing to do that. Uh, We're in the background. And it's like, it makes a huge difference though. If like, oh, you know, so-and-so didn't realize that they were, you know, off mic and they're done talking, I'm just going to mute them and send them a quick message. You know, that just keeps everything moving along uh, in a meeting. Um, But yeah, I think it's just, it's harder to read the room sometimes too, about like, are people ready to leave? You know, you have to be a little bit more intentional about, you know, like, actually I really have to leave at six. Like, and I don't have to justify why. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just need to leave at six and that's okay. And then you just log off and make your goodbyes or whatever it is. Right. Or maybe it's just you put it in the chat and go, hey, I did have to leave at six. Great seeing everybody. And then you just leave. Like you're not bound there for long periods of time. Like you actually can just leave and it's not rude to do so. I mean, if it's just the two of you, like if I did that right now to you and put it in the chat and I was like, Ian, I have to leave. That would be really <laughs> weird. Really weird. But if it's a group of like, you know, five people, like you don't want to like break into the conversation just to drop that in yep. saying, oh, I leave everybody. Um, and it's not just happy hours. I mean, that's meetings too. I think one of the cool things about meetings is that maybe what you have to ask or your comment is not worthwhile for you to come off mute and actually say it. Like mm-hmm. that is silly. Maybe you just drop it in the chat, you know? And so being able to have this sort of multimedia when you're on a call, I think can be really important too, whether it's a happy hour or it's a full on meeting. You know, it gives you a little more flexibility on some of those pieces where you're not just, I have to dominate the conversation. Everyone pay attention to me for this. Like, I'm just going to drop this in. You know, that's all I'm going to do right now. And then if it comes up in the conversation, great. Maybe I hop on and say like, oh, I want to expand on that idea. But you have to get used to that. Like, mm-hmm. It's not an instantly like, I know how this works kind of thing. And you can always tell people who are new to it because they don't even think about looking at the chat. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that they're used to doing. They're like, well, I'm talking to you in person. You know, that's, that's the model. But you do have flexibility you know, within that space. And it's, you know, you have to wrap your head around it and give it a go and fail at it a couple times and do something silly. And then you go, okay, now I learned. (laughs) Now I can can actually try this out. And and yeah, not just learning those of us who are participating in calls, but also like if you are leading a call, right? You know, the the administration, yeah, the administration at my my school had to like develop uh, norms and expectations around like, okay, there's, 200 of us staff in this group call right now what is going to be a reasonable way to manage all of that to have a comprehensive like meeting but also allow everybody who is there to like be able to contribute and yeah so like the chat was very important for that just as a quirky thing about remote work you have no idea how tall people are Yes. Like if you don't meet them in person beforehand, you're like, they could be really tall, really short. Like, I have no idea. And it's like a special occasion when you finally do meet your colleagues then in person. Cause you're like, I did not know you were six, seven. Yeah. I had yeah. no idea you were that tall. 
But I think there actually are some benefits to that too, because I know there's all these like bias studies on like, you know, not just, um, you know, male versus female managers and who gets promoted and those kind of things, but also like taller people tend to be promoted. Mm. Like a really interesting thing. Cause I was like, you know, I'm intimidated by one of my bosses and I found out she was five two. And I was like, actually, no, like I never want to screw up because like, you know, you just dominate the conversation. Right. I mean, in a good way, but like, I'm not going to screw up. Like that will be really, really bad. <laughs> you know, she'll come down on me. And I think if I had met her in person and I hope that I wouldn't have like these you know, really strong biases, but I think it would have been there Sure. that I would have been like, oh, but you're shorter than me significantly. And I, you know, maybe you're not as intimidating, you know, like your authority is not going to come from you being the tallest person. It's not going to come from you right. being the person standing in front of the room. Even, you know, there aren't those signals to say like, I am the person who's going to be leading this meeting because I'm sitting in front, <laughs> like in Zoom, you bounce around constantly, right, right. you know, with whose image is up there. And it's hard to tell those things. Um, you know, those are actually like, again, things to be thinking about, you know, unless it's a webinar or something, it's, everyone's kind of blending together. I have learned over years of doing this, you look at the camera, not the screen. Mm-hmm. If you look at the camera, it looks like you're making eye contact, but you can't really see what the other person's doing. In yeah. that case, there's sort of this blur in your peripheral vision as you go through. But it does help create a bond with the person you're talking to. So yeah. Aside, and but- I definitely had to keep in mind that like, oh, yeah, I want to since I have multiple monitors in my setup. Right. I'm like, I want to set up my webcam over here where I'm going to have the zoom window so that when I am looking at Glenn, Glenn knows that I'm looking at him. Because it, it seems sort of like you're disinterested if you're always staring at something else. Exactly. Yeah. Even even though like I could easily here, I'm I'm going to move your window over here. I'm still looking at Glenn, but now Glenn sees me looking like I feel four, ignored. Forty five degrees <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't have to be like constantly like locked onto that particular spot. I mean, even when you have a one on one conversation in person, you don't just stare. I mean, just like the conference room situation. But if that's kind of your default go back position, you know, or at least at the top of your screen, like it seems like you're interested in gate. Like, yeah, you know, that does make a difference. But that is something that's exhausting, you know, to continue to do that and be constantly like looking at things and like what's popping up and all those things are happening. And I feel like a lot of people have just sort of kept, we have a two hour meeting on Wednesdays, and we're going to plop it down online, no other changes to it. And you get people who sort of, you know, ramble because they don't get the cues that they should be <laughs> quiet. So they just continue on. And those are sometimes hard to read you know, as well, even in person, but it, it, it makes it worse when you're in this situation where you have even fewer clues mm-hmm. to it. And I think meeting management is another skill besides being a manager, but meeting management right. is a gigantic thing that needs to come a long way for the online space. And some of it's just basic things like don't schedule them back to back. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, physically, you can just pop into the new meeting without moving from your chair you should never, ever do that though, because it's awful. Yeah. Like you need at least a little bit of time to get up and move around, you know, five minutes minimum, probably pretty good if you've been on an hour meeting and you just kind of string another hour into it. Like, no, people yeah, that sounds are going to hate that, you know, but even in the meeting itself, I mean, keeping things moving, keeping it on, on topic is incredibly important because if you just have this sort of rambling, meandering conversation. And if you want to have like a, a long rambling conversation, I mean, you should just record a podcast. We're we're coming up on two hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, of course, video calls aren't uh, the best tool for every communication scenario. Another one of my guests, Zach Scalco, had a few things to say about uh, informal encounters that you typically have in the office. I am Zach Skelko. I'm a senior software engineer. I make the things on the screen do the thing that generally people want to do. Really what I miss the most about being in the office Mm. is that idea of just 
the random encounters that you don't get at all in this work from home setting. The idea of, oh, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Oh, there's my old buddy who's just at the coffee pot and we're able to just catch up. This is a, the sort of person that I would never just call on the ambiguated conference calling <laughs> software. Yeah, that, that feels very intentional. It has purpose. Yeah, and I think that's actually the other aspect of it is every interaction has some purpose. It's in a way that can really kind of distract from sometimes what the, the goal of a conversation is, which is to uh, collaborate and learn from each other and talk to each other and share. It, so much as it, of it has an agenda um, when you're scheduling a uh, video call. And I, and I get that. I mean, if you're used to talking to people in the office, well, there's no office you're going into. Mm-hmm. It seems logical that you don't talk to anybody. Um, and that really was a tricky thing for me too when I started. You know, like what's the right way to talk to your your coworkers and colleagues, um, even your boss, you know, or people that report to you. Uh, and a lot of it's just what's the setup. You know, for us, we were using Skype, I guess, to start off with, um, moved over to Slack eventually, which seems like Slack has kind of filled that space at this point. There's some other options, but Slack's a big one. Uh, and Part of it's just, you know, you can't just bump into somebody as you're walking to and from your desk or you're coming in or going out of the office. Like, that's just not the case. Um, So it really has to be more intentional Mm -hmm. is what I discovered. I mean, not just I discovered it for the first time ever, but other people have discovered too. But my personal discovery was you have to be intentional about it. Uh, You have to reach out to people sometimes. And, you know, if there's a, let's say there's the group chat for your team, you can also set one up that's just one-on-one with one of your colleagues and just say hi to them. And it probably feels super weird the first time where you're just like, hello, so-and-so, you know, and how's your day going? Sure, it's awkward, but it seems as if you try to make small talk with someone for the first time in person. Yeah. You know, it's not really that different. Uh, and it's, it's also, I think, the um, the staggered, staggeredness, I'm making a word, the staggeredness of the, the sort of workday makes a really big difference because you can leave messages for people more or less. That's kind of how texting works. That's how I kind of think about it. And you kind of pick up a conversation quite a bit later. You know, someone's in a meeting, so they can't respond for an hour. Sure. Then they pop back and they're like, that was hilarious. You know, thank you for dropping that in. You know, like, that's just sort of the cadence to your day. Or it might even be overnight. <laughs> you know, they're, they're right. out of the office because they work <laughs> a different time zone uh, from you. So they sign out your time maybe 4 p.m. because it's East Coast for them and you're on Central. And they see it the next morning, you know, an hour before you've even started. Uh, and you have to get used to that. That's sort of the cadence to the day that, you know, maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're just more flexible with your time. And you can do those things. Um, but I find it kind of incredible how often you could just be like, hey, you know, do you want to just hop onto a call for 20 minutes? So actually, when this first started, I set up a Discord server, mostly so that we could actually like audio chat. Um, we're we're a pretty social crew. Generally, we're like a big uh, click and all go to lunch together. And I knew right away that that was going to be something that I severely missed. Um, so set that up. And the idea of us all being on just uh, voice chat really like lowers that barrier for self-filtering, which was what we were going for, right? We just wanted people to get into the conversation. Um, And at first it was great. Um, I I will say it has definitely um, kind of faded away in terms of engagement, at least for the voice part but um we've got everyone on the platform like we still can uh call out to everyone hey uh come on into the 
voice chat because we're gonna have lunch today or whatever mm-hmm. but um it's uh yeah we're a definitely a close-knit group and we needed something right away I started wondering about how somebody is supposed to tell which communication medium is going to be best for a particular conversation. Uh, But of course, my guests had much better answers than I did. First up, let's hear from Emma Sachs. My name is Emma Sachs. I uh, graduated with Ian from the University of Minnesota Morris a few years ago, and now I work as a platform operations engineer at Sports Engine in Minneapolis. Even I was used to when you're in the office and you have a question, you just grab somebody's attention and just ask them. And it's easier to find solutions right away. Now it's much more difficult because you put a message out into your chat or your Slack. We use Slack or whatever you use to communicate with your coworkers. And then somebody may or may not see it right away. Uh, you don't really know if they've seen it until they respond. And then if you do get a conversation going, you've got typing time, send, reading time, <laughs> think, typing time, send, and then that repeats. Versus if you're in person, it's much faster. Communication is faster because you just talk, listen, think, go. It's it's much more flowy. So um, things are a little bit slower. It's harder to know when do we jump on a call to talk this through versus when is just typing okay but I think that it's good because we had people on my team uh, that were completely remotely that were being left out of conversations because they were happening in person Mm -hmm. so even though it's more cumbersome for for uh, for the people that are used to being in person it actually involves more people. And then you've got a written record of what was decided because it's all in Slack history versus it just being something that people vaguely remember. Right. Yeah. Searchable and indexed. Ryan Rampersad, who is the founder of this podcast network and who is one of the hosts of the show PodKit, had a few things to say about digital whiteboards. There's a couple of drawing tools that we really like these days. Um, I don't know how much stuff you do with a whiteboard these days, but it turns out drawing stuff to help people understand ideas, very helpful, very powerful. But you know what you can't do when you're not near the whiteboard together? You can't whiteboard together. Uh, So it's been really nice to actually have something like Miro, uh, which is a nice uh, whiteboarding utility. Um, Another one is Excalidra. That's the one I've been using. It's an open source one. there, there's a lot of cool tools like that, and they're very popular these days. And I would go and say that it's actually better than a whiteboard. So the problem with the whiteboard is it's very difficult to safely collaborate without the feeling of losing stuff on it. And so when you do it all digitally, and you just remove the whole physically co-located thing, which has its pros and cons, and maybe they're equal at this point, when you when you just go digital and you're using the digital whiteboard... What you're getting out of that is it's there's no more loss for having to just select a bunch of stuff, control C, control V somewhere else, and just go off and do your own idea somewhere else. Like you don't have to pay the price of redrawing and running out of space and then writing at the top of the whiteboard, don't erase until next week. You don't have to do any of that. You just get to do your work and it's really nice. Here's Glenn's take on the topic. 
it's not like you just have to say like, well, the only time we can really talk is when we're in a big conference room and all of us talk for an hour for this dedicated time. It could just be like any of these little ad hoc pickup kind of meetings or chats or whatever happens to be. And you fit those within your schedule. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's probably the, the other really good thing about what I liked about say Slack or any of the other ones is you can be doing your work and you can just mute Slack and just say like for the next hour yeah. I'm in a meeting, I'm working on something. I don't want any alerts right now because we're, I mean, we hear that ping. Ooh, what's that thing? You know, I really want to listen to it. And you shouldn't, <laughs> I mean, it's really bad for your concentration. You should stop what you're doing uh, to look at something. Ugh, that's not going to be good for your efficiency. So I like putting up blocks of time and just saying like this next hour is my time to work on my emails, to clear out whatever, to get this project on. And then I pop up in the hour and it'd be kind of like a mini break too. Like who sent me a funny, whatever, mm. or, you know, what update did I get on that thing I was asking about, or did that person email me back about this thing? that was in there. Um, and, and that's really just great because then you can just sort of punctuate your day with these various activities and you're not being pulled in 20 different directions all at once. You know, people get very frazzled when that's the case because it's stressful. You're not able to concentrate on anything and it's just not good for productivity usually. What our day looked like in the office and when we're remote looked pretty similar. We would do this really uh, kind of revolutionary for our team thing, which is our morning meetings that we'd go to every morning we would all do completely remote, even if you were in the office. So we'd have a circle of people um, sitting at all of their desks and we would all be on the same call with headphones <laughs> and we would do a mute and unmute dance so that you're only <laughs> unmuted when you are talking and then you'd mute because otherwise you'd hear an echo of people's voices <laughs> echoing across the room. Yeah, so if you have a bunch of people that are in the office and then a few people that are remote, um, it makes it, for the remote person, it makes it harder to hear because um, everyone has to stand circled around a single computer um, to make them heard. And then you've got the people that are right next to the computer are really loud. And then the people that are farther away from, from the computer are really, really quiet. So the experience is better for the people that are remote, but um, also because, yeah, it gets if, if you've got everybody in the same room, then what you're used to is you want to talk to somebody, you just walk over and tap them on the shoulder. You just go right over. You're missing, if you're remote, you're missing all of those little um, coffee break conversations and um, running into somebody in the hallway and you're missing all of those experiences. And so you've got remote people that are very disadvantaged because they're not getting not only are they not getting that connection with the people that they work with, but they're getting the social connection of being in a group of people and that everybody else gets. So by having as many meetings, quote unquote, remote as possible, it means that everyone is sort of on a more even playing field. And then also like stepping even beyond the, the meeting room, I've read that like it puts remote workers at a huge disadvantage if they're in, you know, a mixture of some people are are in the office and some people are remote because it's just so much easier for managers to like overlook that person who isn't there in the office every day for, you know, consideration for promotions and things like that. And I think, you know, this is anticipating the future a little bit, but I suspect there's going to be a lot of people who think, you know, yeah, remote's for me. I really like it, but maybe it's not 100% of the time. You know, maybe it's that I get to work like two or three days from home and I have my two days I go into the office. You know, I stagger things out. I mean, I could see a lot of people wanting that particular model, you know, or maybe management wants that too, because, you know, 
long, who knows how long this is going to last with uh, sort of coronavirus restrictions, you know, maybe just need to have social distancing and that makes sense for them to do. But, you know, if you're thinking like, you know, five, 10 years down the road, I think it's going to be a really big question about how do you make sure that part of your team doesn't get ignored? Mm-hmm. You know, real, is it really just a tactical decision to say, I need to make sure I'm in the office. I have to have that FaceTime with people because otherwise I'm never going to get promoted. Um, you know, a friend of mine who works for that company still, you know, he was in Connecticut. So he goes into the office twice a week now in his new role. Well, part of the reason that he was teed up for that is because he was able to go into the office once in a while and get a little FaceTime with people. Oh, who's that person? You know, I see them in the office. Oh, that's so-and-so. Things like that don't happen in the same way in the remote environment. If it's fully remote, other people aren't, there's definitely a tendency to have people be forgotten. Now, of course, this has impacted not only our work lives, but also our social lives. Um, and uh, and some of those impacts are things that are only going to be applicable while we are facing this pandemic. Um, but other things, uh, you know, your social life is going to be impacted a little bit if you are working remotely versus uh, if you are working in person. Probably in the first year or so, I definitely did not have, this is a whole other topic and I do want to explore this too, but I did not have really good boundaries on when my workday was. <laughs> so you know, it would creep in to be like, it's 7.30 and I'm still wrapping up these emails. I have to get my inbox to zero, you know, that kind of stuff. And that, that's bad for your social life, it turns out, to always be working. I spend all day on video calls. <laughs> yeah. It feels like labor. And I don't know if that's because I'm doing it in the same space or if because like it is emotionally challenging to use a screen all day or to use a you know video conference screen all day um but that carries over definitely into the friend stuff yeah well i appreciate the labor that you're putting into this call <laughs> <laughs> no problems you, you, it's the beginning of the day I have definitely noticed that the barriers to entry for going to social events like on on video calls is uh, is way, way lower, right? I don't have to worry about, am I going to be able to bike all the way over to Minneapolis uh, in time for this event and then, you know, leave enough time at the end of the evening to like bike back home? Um, but also, I've noticed that my investment in those events is much much lower like the threshold for reasons for me to not log into a thing uh like much smaller things will will influence me into just not going to a social event uh than than you know back when we had all of these events in person yeah yeah and and again i think it's you everyone's new to it you know like how does this actually work and i think it was pretty interesting that like you know, you'd have someone's spouse, like just wander into frame during a happy hour mm-hmm. and be like, oh, how's your workday going? And they're like, I'm on a happy hour, you know, and it'd be kind of a funny thing to be like, oh, do you want to say hi? You know, and they wave from the background and oftentimes they would know who their coworkers were because they would see them, which is kind of a cool thing to be like, oh, you're talking to Glenn. How are things in Minnesota? Mm-hmm. Again, on brand, Minnesota, they know. <laughs> uh, and those things are just, I, I think you have some barriers. I mean, they're maybe not about scheduling. They're not about transit getting places. They aren't those types of things, but there's still barriers to, you know, you can't have a happy hour every single day with different people. Right. Like that's just unsustainable. I sure did try at the beginning. (laughs) Everybody did. Everybody certainly did. And I was like, I'm a veteran at this. I know how to do it. Like let's, let's kick off some happy hours. Um, But yeah, I think it's just, it's harder to read the room sometimes too about like, are people ready to leave? You know, you have to be a little bit more intentional about, you know, like, actually, I really have to leave at six. Like, and I don't have to justify why. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I just need to leave at six. 
and that's okay. And then you just log off and make your goodbyes or whatever it is. Ryan Mitchell, who is another member of the Nexus TV podcast network and uh, is one of the co-hosts of the show PodKit, along with Ryan, uh, he actually went through not only changing his uh, work environment, but also he moved from one apartment to another and uh, and went from having a roommate to just living by himself uh, during this pandemic. So let's talk to him about uh, about how that shift has gone. Yeah, I'm a software engineer. I focus pretty much all on front end. So I'm writing JavaScript, TypeScript with ReactJS. Um, so web web development, um, I'm on a computer all the time. I have Mac. Uh, not that that's really important, but I like it. Yeah, I'm, I feel more like a loner for sure, especially without a, a roommate. Uh, it was about the first two months we were still living together and then um, he moved out and then I've now moved to my own place with a, just a one bedroom. So um, it's now kind of like half and half of both. And like the the two of us there, we, it was good to talk and just hear about each other's work and things. And sometimes people to ride our bike and whatnot. But um, yeah, I like my own space here too, which is, which is interesting because I feel like this uh, environment of, you know, living alone, it would normally be super, super great because then I can like be at home alone if I want, but then I can like go out whenever I'm not bothering someone or I can have friends over or whatnot, but like that can't happen. So I appreciated the group watches that you hosted uh, for, for Westworld season three over the spring. Yeah, that was, that was a good way to just keep in touch with people. Um, I've, I've been watching Marvel's agents of shield with another friend. Um, so we've been watching every week, watching TV and texting someone isn't the most like socially interact social interaction, but it's something it, it lets you still relate with people and talk about the episode. And maybe conversation goes elsewhere as well, but in the topic of socializing, I have once now like cooked cooked the same food with someone while video chatting. So that's a good way of like, rather than just like sitting and staring at them, you know, you can still do some activities. I've met uh, with uh, a few people in like parks or something, gotten takeout and met and sat, you know, diagonally across each other at a picnic table. Now, this is one of the few times in this episode where uh, I will talk a little bit about some of my own experiences, uh, because here at my house, uh, we we don't have any kids, um, and we're not living alone. Uh, I actually live with three other people, uh, all of us young adults here here in this house, and so we very quickly went from, uh, you know, all of us working in in different locations and different offices uh, throughout the city to um, three of us uh, trying to figure out ways to work from home and uh, and one of us was furloughed so all of a sudden we just have you know four people spending a lot of time in in this one building um, I fortunately already had a little little home office a little studio set up um, in the uh, it, it's it's kind of attached to my bedroom with a little curtain in between. Um, but another one of my housemates had to uh, quickly set up a, a little like desk area for herself uh, over in the spare bedroom that we have. Um, and uh, and and other housemate, I'm not sure what exactly he does. Um, I guess he must just like take his laptop into his bedroom and works from there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, rather frustrating for my wife Savannah because she like 
didn't really have a dedicated space in the house uh, for herself to to get work done, and uh, and so that's been kind of a struggle is is navigating like okay, who is going to be like just hanging out in the common spaces versus who's going to be getting work done versus you know like is somebody going to be trying to get some chores done like vacuuming and everything and that bothers everybody else and you know it's um it's it's been it's been a bit of a trip for example as i was recording this morning savannah was sleeping and it always makes me feel weird trying to record stuff while she's sleeping but she says that it doesn't bother her but like i don't understand that but, you know, we all communicate and we accommodate each other's needs and it's all sunshine and rainbows, right? Right. Living in a house by yourself when the pandemic started, it was a blessing and a curse because immediately, right off the bat, I was lonely. Um, me and my significant other, they also live alone in their own apartment. Both of us decided very early on in the quarantine, we were going to stay in our separate units, but we we're going to let ourselves see with the other person and hang out. And even if it was only one person, I was still able to kind of leave my apartment to go to the other person's apartment and they were able to do vice versa. And so that kind of loneliness was fine, but we also had the blessing of actually not living together. So we each have a home office and they're in separate buildings, which is also nice because we don't have any noise bleed. I don't ever have to hear him on a meeting. He doesn't have to hear me. So that's really nice. And I think we are so lucky at this point, uh, in my opinion, at least, that we don't have any other things around us. Like um, I have two plants that need to be watered once a week. And that's about the most responsibility that I can take. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No pets, no kids, no roommates, nothing. Um, and which is, yeah, that's, that's just really nice. Um, I, I never have distractions. And I think a lot of people that maybe have families, what they're trying to maybe still figure out is, um, how do I draw the line between being with my family and taking care of them and also be working. And for me, it's sort of the opposite where, because I don't have any family, how do I know when to stop working? and go do my own personal thing, which let's be real, many, much of the time is just staring at the computer anyway. So how do I know when to stop? You can easily blur the boundaries when you're working remotely, you know, between work and everything else you're doing. In some ways that's great, you know, like picking up and doing an errand for 45 minutes middle of the day because I can offset my time because I'm trusted to get my work done. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I don't have to say like, I'm going to the doctor. I need to have this hour off, whatever it happens to be. It's like, I can just do that, put up an out of office, come back later because I have that level of trust. But on the other hand, though, you can still do emails at midnight. You yeah. know, and that's not a great thing for you to be doing. I never quite did the midnight email thing, but I only saw people doing that. I was kind of scolded them the next day. And I was like, <laughs> why did you answer this at 12.05 a.m.? They were like, well, it was only 11.05 my time. I'm like, no, 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 that doesn't make it better. Like, please. Or sorry, 11.05 p.m., but it's like not any better. Please don't do that. Um, so I think there is kind of that also you know, the culture of it, like you have to kind of push each other a little bit to be good about your boundaries and just be like, please, please don't do that. Like that makes it bad for the rest of us that you're answering emails that late. <laughs> like, it makes me look bad if you do that. 
<laughs> and if you're somebody who can't avoid collapsing those contexts, if you if you uh, you know aren't able to keep yourself from answering emails in the middle of the night, you can also depending on what email software you're using, you might be able to schedule send so that nobody knows that you are actually responding to things in the middle of the right, night. Exactly. Yeah, we, certainly <laughs> some of us did that. We were like, you know, even if you really have this terrible impulse to do these things, have them go out at 9 a.m. Yep. Just think that you're really productive <laughs> at 9 a.m. when all your emails go out in this mass blast to everybody. Unexpectedly, Glenn started talking about building one's personal brand in a remote workspace. But once he brought it up, it made perfect sense to me. You know, I would talk about Minnesota a lot. I would joke about, I love my spreadsheets a lot. You know, all these sort of like little things that I built up as sort of my brand from before. Uh Also just actually going to people and saying like, hey, you know, could you give me feedback on that thing I just did? Like that's also my cultivated as a brand. And it was funny how quickly people would be like, oh yeah, Glenn's Minnesota guy. Glenn loves spreadsheets. Glenn always wants to get feedback on what he's been doing to see if it's good or bad. And this isn't a matter of like two months of a volunteer thing that I was not in every day, nine to five, that these things would pop up. And those things do not just build a brand, but people remember who you are. Mm -hmm. So back to that, like you remember people that are in the office with you because you see them. They'll also remember you if you're that person who always does that thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were the person who was never on camera, you know, that became your brand. And it was usually not because someone had reasons for it. I mean, I think everybody at some point in our company had been like, I'm sorry, I'm just not really feeling to be on camera today for a little bit. Can I just go off camera? And everyone's like, oh yeah, 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 totally not a big deal. I mean, lunch, no one wants to watch me chew on camera. Like, no, no, we don't. That sounds terrible. Also mute yourself because they don't want to hear it either. I just realized um, that, but- that is totally part of my like video call brand you do yeah you recently. do eat your meals I, on camera i meet my meals but like i always seem to have a meal and i didn't it didn't occur to me until just now that i'm the eating guy <laughs> you are the eating guy yeah i mean eating in but those things are really important i think you know thinking about like well how do i want to come across you know do i want to seem like i'm present i'm engaged i'm thinking about things or do i want a person who's kicked back in the corner clearly with like you know, earbuds in listening to my podcast, you know, during a meeting in person, because that's how it comes across if you're never on camera. Um, And that's tough. I mean, that's just a tough thing to sort of overcome because it's like, it's easier not to be on camera. I'm embarrassed to see myself up there on camera, all those kind of things. And part of it's just like, you you have to get over it. (laughs) I mean, I hate to say it in that way, but, you know, if, if you are not seen to be on camera, it's really tough to be sort of recognized and paid attention to and all those other things. Now, without the rigid structure of taking a trip to your workplace, it uh, it may be difficult to establish a routine, like a cadence to your day. Um, I have found it very, very helpful uh, for myself, since since I am somebody who typically needs to like expend some physical energy before I can sit down and do like mental work. Um, I will go out and take a short bike ride uh, in the mornings, and then uh, and then I come back home and uh and i shower and even though i'm like coming from the same place to the same place it kind of puts my mind into the mode of like all right now it's time to put on our work clothes and sit down at the work desk and it's going to be big boy work time from now on for the day i have taken to doing things like using my own calendar to schedule working time um, and setting explicit goals of, of that working time in a way that I never previously had to. I was so conditioned that going to the office meant that I was going to work. 
Like, why would I need to do the work of writing down what I'm going to do today? Because I know I'm just going to work all day. <laughs> now I feels like I, I need to be very intentional about what I'm expecting to get done in a day because the reality is, okay, I might end up be distracted for two hours during my work day. And uh, if I don't set a goal to say, this is what I need to get done, I'm not going to return to that after bedtime. Pre-COVID time, uh, I would try to get the dog out for a walk every morning and evening, but now I'll go for about three walks a day, so morning and evening with the dog still. But over lunch, I will try to get out for another walk. Um, or, or what I never really did when I was in the office was just go outside for even a few minutes. Um, but it is nice because I can just walk upstairs and just go stand out on the deck for, you know, 10 minutes between meetings or something if one gets done early. And that's really nice just to be able to go and not see a screen for a moment, which is funny because then I go out there and I'd use my phone for 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And what helped me on that was realizing that like maybe it didn't have to be the, you know, shower, breakfast, sign into work pattern. Like I actually really liked that I could wake up in the morning do my emails for about 30 minutes or triage my day, see like what has popped up overnight and then say, cool, I got that kind of handled. I'm going to have some breakfast now. Come back and do another hour of work and then go, oh, maybe it's time for a shower because I have meetings in the afternoon. And that sounds absurd, right? That you took a shower in the middle of your day, but you can (laughs) do that remotely and you weren't on camera. There was no real consequence to this. And it wasn't like I wasn't doing things. I wasn't you know, clearly on camera doing those types of activities, but I was taking care of emails. I was doing other tasks. It was just that like, hey, I, I can stagger this out a little bit you know, for what I want to be doing. And I think there was like kind of a power in that because it's like I can figure out what my schedule is and it fits what I need to be doing during the day because these things all need to get done during this day. But I'm going to box them in between this time and this time. Mm-hmm. You know, within that, I have a lot of flexibility, but I need to just get these things done within this time frame. And that was helpful for scheduling meetings. It was helpful for, you know, when do I take lunch? Also that I was not taking lunch particularly because I felt guilty. <laughs> I remember going back to that and I was sort of like, well, I'll take 10 minutes and I'll eat really quickly. It's terrible for you. Don't do that. I always made sure I took half an hour for lunch. You know, at the most, it might be like I'm, you know, tuning into something and sort of watching and I would make sure I took other breaks later because lunch meetings are a thing. But, you know, definitely, though, making sure that you do take that time where you're actually getting up, leaving the physical space you're at for work. Sure, sometimes it's the same computer, you do other stuff on later, but getting up and moving away from that and like sitting on the couch in your living room for your break for 15 minutes is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just, it seems like such a silly thing. Like, it's a room over. Like, maybe it's even the same room. But it's a different piece of furniture. It's a different outlook. Like those things do make a huge difference. And, you know, whenever you take your shower, like, you know, that's between you and whoever else you live with, I guess. But I mean, you need to figure out when you take your own showers. Yeah. I mean, it's just not regimented that you do it before you go to work. That's really the only difference. To mm-hmm. that. So I, I think it really was figuring out what your pattern is. Yeah. Your day and, and I, th- I think that done. that's that's probably something that's going to be very unique from person to person. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, like, like I'm definitely somebody who benefits from doing some physical activity in the morning before I sit down to do mental type work, you know? So not having that, I I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy being a bike commuter so much is because like, that's just naturally in order to get from here to school, I have to be on my bike for 25 minutes, which is just like, it. that's perfect. Um, and when we started uh, working from home, yeah, I, I, very quickly realized that oh i need to hold myself to the the standard of 
before 9 a.m., which is like when my office hours start, uh, I need to go for a bike ride. And then I can sit down and actually start doing stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's it, it takes more discipline to do that, though, versus I have to physically be there at work. Like, I need to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of the counterpoint to that is a lot of people put their errands in as, like, on my way home from work, I'll do whatever. Yeah. You know, I'll get my haircut. I'll go to the grocery store, those kind of things. And sometimes I would get to, like, 3 p.m. in the afternoon and be like, I don't want to go grocery shopping today. <laughs> like, this sounds awful. I don't want to leave the house again. I'm actually tired and those kind of things. And it is more challenging than sort of get yourself revved up to be like, I have to do these like three errands, you know, after work when mm-hmm. I'm all wrapped up, you know, maybe it's the gym. That's kind of a common one. People on the way home will go to the gym. Um, that's hard to sort of build in, you know, if you don't have a commute. So there, there are things you have to think about, I think very consciously about what do I still need to get done? And I think the other thing I sort of noticed, and, you know, I certainly hope that other people that you've interviewed for this also talk about this is it's just a transition period too. You know, no one on day one says, I have it all locked down. I know how to operate in this new remote environment. Right. I mean, even if the culture is all there and the infrastructure is all there, it still takes some doing to figure out what works for you and what are the right balances. I mean, there's a colleague of mine where he's like, I always just have a polo shirt next to me. So when I have an interview, I just pull on that polo shirt. I just try to change it out <laughs> every day. So it's not the same one, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's a funny thing, but he, he wasn't kidding. You know, he was like, well, this is the thing that works for me. Like I usually don't want to be dressed up for work. That's silly. You know, I'm not on camera all the time. I would rather just put on this polo shirt, do whatever meeting it is. And then usually he'd be meeting with somebody else later, you know, that week. So, you know, he can even repeat it if he wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, if you really want to do that. But, you know, I think those things are just like, you know, thinking flexibly about like, what are actually the important things, you know, like being present, being engaged, that doesn't change, but sort of like, does it have to be this really regimented schedule every day yeah. that can certainly change up. And, you know, you can't just sit there like for two hours browsing on Twitter or whatever it happens to be like, that's not efficient, but you couldn't do that in person either. If you were in the office, like that's just, you're not working. <laughs> you can't right. do that kind of thing, but you can certainly say, you know, like I said about errands, like I'm going to take 45 minutes over lunch because I'm going to have lunch and I'm going to go run an errand, you know, and then come back. Like that's a flexibility. I think that was really good. It also meant you could avoid like lines for things, you know, like renew your driver's license. You're like, well, I can do that on Tuesday at 10 AM if I wanted to, like, that's awesome. I don't feel like do this mad rush to get it in uh, during the times that don't overlap with work. Um, Those things I think are really important to sort of think about. I even say this, just consciously think about what are the perks to remote work? Like Mm -hmm. if you're feeling down on remote work, just like, okay, but, what are the good things? <laughs> you know, like there's no commute. Um, I can tune out my colleagues if I want to by muting them in the chat. You know, that's a pretty good one. Um, and the other one, I think it's like a funny one because people joke about like, oh, you know, you don't have to like wear pants when you're on calls. <laughs> you know, it's dangerous to do so because you might forget to go off camera and have to hop up when someone does something in the background, like UPS does a drop off. But you also don't have to spend a lot of money on work wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's kind of amazing actually how big a difference that makes. You know, a friend of mine who left the company to go into an in-person job, when she was in the negotiation stage, she figured out, well, how much is it going to cost me to have a work wardrobe and to commute in? And when they came back and offer, she said, it needs to be higher because this is what's changing for me. And they said, okay, we'll match that. You know, but I thought it was a really good idea, even just for kind of a back of the envelope to say like, how much am I really spending on my commute? You know, maybe it's even I have to have a car. Yeah. That was my thing. I had to have a car because I was commuting take that off the plate. And suddenly you're like, well, how often am I really driving? I mean, it's like twice a week. That That's a huge change over for yeah. your, kind of your lifestyle piece. 
Uh-oh, Glenn just brought up cars and transportation, which then made me think of land use, and uh, since that is the advocacy world that both Glenn and I kind of operate in, uh, you get to listen to us talk about land use for a few minutes. I, I um, have been thinking about, from from a structural perspective and, you know, a land use perspective, that, like, if we're going to be moving into a world where more people are working from home, then I, I think it is even more important to build like walkable neighborhoods where people can get everything, like they can access all the amenities that they're going to need on a day-to-day basis without a car. Because like, if you eliminate the daily commute, that is like the, the almost like guaranteed item in everybody's daily routine where they're like, this is going to be so much harder if I don't have a car. Right. Mm-hmm. So once we eliminate the commute, then it becomes much easier to for for people to get all of their errands done and everything as long as they actually live in some you know a place where they can go to the grocery store where they can access the laundromat you know whatever it is within walking distance yeah and you have the same compounded issue i mean if you live in a rural area maybe you don't have an internet and you also don't have these like yeah. amenities right around there so it's kind of the the twofer on that but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when you think about, you know, the way things are structured right now about, you know, how is, you know, we always talk about rush hour, you know, and it's kind of an odd concept to think like the only reason rush hour is there is because everyone is physically going from their home into work, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not every single person, but it's a large proportion of people all doing that at the exact same time. And even just what, what if those were staggered out, you know, between different days, different hours, you know, whatever that was, like you would actually lower the number of cars that are on the road for peak times tremendously. Mm-hmm. If you could just stagger things out and say you're only in the office three days a week. And so and That's so much of our amazing. transportation system is like has to be designed for what is going to be the peak demand of this infrastructure, right? And then like at all other times it just sits there empty, right? Um Absolutely. And and we've seen uh during this pandemic that like, for example, commuter rail systems, like their ridership has dropped precipitously like way more than local bus or like light rail uh lines and of course like like of course it has has dropped off so much because like 90 percent of the people who would have been using that like they like to, to get from the suburbs into the center of the city to do their knowledge working s- stuff right those are the kinds of jobs that can be done from home and also like by and large those are the workers who if there aren't a whole lot of other people on the road, they can just take a car instead of taking the train. You know, like they have a lot more options for themselves um, than, than you know, a lot of other riders who are using local buses and, and light rail systems. Um, where am I going with this? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, if, if you are the transit rider and your main reason you did that was to avoid rush hour and rush hour is gone. Exactly. <laughs> but you still have to go into the office in some way. I mean, of course, you're like, well, now my incentive is just to drive, you know, because it's just more direct or whatever happens to be for them. The convenience factor switches mm-hmm. you in that calculation. Um, and I think that's sort of a, you know, I think there's a lot of unintended consequences are probably going to come up. I know this is like, you know, getting way beyond just how do you remote work? But, <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I think these are like interesting questions about, you know, what is transit going to look like? Mm-hmm. What is rush hour going to look like? Offices, you know, rush. I mean, even just restaurants for like the lunch rush, 
Yeah. You, know, you would expect to have like a pretty significant changeover because it's not everyone just rushing out to grab food to go back to the office or sit down and have lunch. You know, after work, a lot of people will do a happy hour, you know, near their office. Well, you know, that's going to change up if people aren't in the office in the same way. Mm -hmm. Now, the physical space that you have at home is definitely crucial uh, to making all of this work. CGP Gray has a fantastic video that he made about uh, helping to main productivity when you're working from home. Uh, it's called Spaceship U because uh, he's presenting it all through the lens of, of a metaphor where we have all launched from Earth and we're all kind of uh, stuck in our own spaceships, uh, not able to really visit each other, and uh, and we have to each maintain the spaceship that we are operating on until we can uh, get back to get back to earth it's a really good video uh, i definitely recommend everybody go and watch it but uh, if you don't have time for that here's here's a quick summary of some of the uh, more important points that he makes in it so number one your mental and your physical health are two parts of a whole, and they feed off of each other, so you can't neglect either one of them. Um, but if you are feeling out of sorts, uh, jump-starting with your physical health uh, can be a good idea. And then the other major thing that he says in the video um, is that you should divide your space into distinct areas for distinct activities. Uh, so the four categories that he gives are exercise, sleep, entertainment, and work. Um, so for exercise, uh, if you can do this outside, that's that's probably ideal. You know, I go on bike rides, so uh, I don't have to like dedicate any space inside my house for doing that. For sleep, um, you definitely want to maintain a regular sleep schedule. Uh, that's that's pretty crucial. Uh, and then also, and this is a rule that like it's so easy to forget and it's so easy to slip up on. But like, have your space for sleep and make sure that you are only using that space for sleep. That you're not doing anything else there. I know I definitely am guilty of like my alarm goes off and I roll over in bed and I pick up my phone and oh now I'm on Twitter now I'm checking my text messages oh and I haven't gotten out of bed yet but like like waiting until you're out of the room until you're out of bed uh is is huge for like maintaining that space in your mind as just like when I'm here I'm sleeping and that's it for entertainment, uh, CGP Grey also was advocating for like when you're when you're relaxing, when you're consuming entertainment, give it your full attention. Don't like you know have a a TV show on, but then also be like scrolling through the news or whatever, um, because that you know like when you're relaxing, you want to relax. You don't want to like stress yourself out by by looking at like what the latest pandemic news is. That's you know that kind of defeats the whole purpose. Uh, and then finally, your workspace. So whatever kind of work you're doing at home, um, have you know a dedicated space for for that. Um, if if you're doing some sort of knowledge work, that probably means you know having like a desk uh, with with a computer set up on it. If you're doing some other kind of work, uh, you might not be using a desk. You know, maybe maybe you're doing some sort of like physical hardware stuff, and you have like a workshop that's out in the garage or whatever. But like you know, whatever it is have have that dedicated space for the work that you're doing and uh, and you don't do anything else in that space 
you know, it doesn't even it doesn't have to be like a space that's separated from everything else by like walls or anything. You know, it it can be just its own like corner of of a room, uh, especially if you're in like a studio apartment or something like that, right? Where where you don't have permanent um, barriers between all of the different areas of your apartment, uh, you can still you know you 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 can you can kind of block off different sections for different purposes um, and uh, and kind of maintain the sanctity of each one of those. And it's definitely important to recognize that, like, as you're doing this work to set up all of these different spaces, that, like, hey, you've already done a bunch of work to set up all of these spaces and keep yourself healthy, happy, and productive. So you should definitely celebrate that. Um, the work doesn't begin when you're ready and you know you're doing you're doing the work for for your for your job um the work starts when you're getting prepared for the work i also found a really helpful article on ars technica ever since they were founded in the 90s um the entire staff at ars has been you know remote they've they've always been a distributed workforce uh and so they uh pu- have put out several articles you know with their own like tips and tricks for um how to how to go about working from home uh and i i've you know selected a few a few points here uh your home office should have a nice view, um, so just so you can like look up from your screen and and you know have something that you enjoy seeing when you look up. Um, I should probably fix the fact that I have you know a curtain in front of the window that's next to me, but uh, also that's the direction that my webcam points. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do about that. It's also a good idea to have like a go-to physical activity that you do when you need to take a break. Um, So, I don't know, a walk through the neighborhood seems pretty ideal because that doesn't involve very much like prep. Scheduling video or voice calls with friends and family throughout the day uh, can definitely help to to get you some human interaction in and and give yourself a little break from from working 24-7. And you know, something that I personally have struggled with a little bit is that like when working from home, it's always possible to be thinking about like the household chores that that are also demanding attention that need to get done. um, And and eating into the time that that, you know, I could be using to be productive. Um, The laundry is the perennial example, because like, it's so easy to just think like, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll just take this uh, laundry downstairs, and I'll put it in and then I won't have to touch it again for like the next hour. But it's really hard to like get back into the swing of things and like you know start getting some some real good work done uh, before it's time to go back downstairs and move the laundry around again. So it's yeah, I don't I I may have to rethink like sectioning off parts of my day where you know okay this is like the work day and then like later on in the evening maybe okay now I'll allow myself to go and do some chores. It's something that I'm still working on figuring out the best system for when i bought my condo because i was middle of this job i was like well i would like more dedicated space for my office now Mm. because i don't want to have it be like in my living room in the corner with this sort of you know again the backdrop with a window that i had to like move the curtain all the time like that did not feel like a dedicated space for work like i wanted a, a better space for that and I think there might be some, you know, ramifications with that because people might say like, well, I am probably gonna be working from home significantly or full time. I may want a dedicated office at home and not just like my guest bedroom slash 
office. I want an office Mm because that's where it is. You know, that changes the footprint of where you do the work from the office out and about in the world where you have to commute to, to your home. You know, are you going to have this sort of pressure on like, I can't handle being in a one bedroom apartment because I need a space away, you know, because that was my situation before. So I think there's going to be things like that. And just the culture of things too, you know, as we move into this environment, you know, are people going to, you know, create long lasting ties potentially with people that they meet that are no longer just nearby? You know, I don't mean like the next city over where you're like, can I plot out how long it takes to get to this happy hour and back home again? But literally this person's on a different time zone. Yeah. You know, how do I stay in touch with this person? Because I really do enjoy their company. Um, But I think it's also a really good opportunity to rethink, like, how do you keep in touch with people? You know, can it just be like quick chats during the day? Like I have friends that I've known for 20 years and that's kind of how we keep up like on a regular basis. We chat a bit and then every once in a while we sort of see each other in person or on the phone or those kind of things we basically just chat. (laughs) That's, that's our mechanism of, of having conversations or like, here's the pics of what I did yesterday and those kind of things. Um, It's not that dissimilar from texting, you know, in many Mm -hmm. ways, but it maybe is sort of the new cadence of how people do talk to each other uh, in those ways. And then all the other things about like, what does your life look like or what are your priorities could change as things go remote. Now we've been talking this whole time about what kinds of advantages and disadvantages individual workers might experience when working from home, Uh, but it's also worth thinking about this from the perspective of the companies that they work for, because, well, if if a company doesn't perceive any advantages to letting their workers work from home, then, I mean, they just won't let them do it. But these kind of things are really important to sort of think about when you're thinking about, like, if you're a, you know, a company. You know, like, what do you want to have your workplace be? Or are you missing out on employees who, you know, maybe really do like the remote workforce style because of things on their end? You know, one might be it's expensive to live in a city. You know, your Mm -hmm. company's based in a really expensive place to live. You know, our company was like that. We did not have remote workers who lived in New York because everyone got paid at that same level, got paid about the same amount. And it was not New York salaries. (laughs) So almost everybody, you know, did not live in one of the really major cities. They lived in smaller cities, suburbia, those types of things, because that's the rate that they were willing to pay, you know, for that particular position, you know, and from the perspective of someone who lives in a low cost of living area, relatively speaking, you know, in the Midwest, that's a bonus you know, for me, but it's also bonus for the company because they don't have to pay the going rate locally to get that talent to come. Right. Yep. And that's a conscious effort, you know, to make that decision and how much can you save on that or office space or whatever the other things are, you know, but I think these just a lot of these like ramifications that are maybe going to become more of a topic. I don't think remote work was something that like is just new, (laughs) you know, I don't think it was always a super niche thing, but it feels like the the timeline to sort of getting to this conversation Mm -hmm. got accelerated by coronavirus. Yeah. You know, like five, 10 years, I think we probably would have been having the same conversation. Now it's like, no, we're doing it now during a pandemic. Like we just have to. Um, I think the same issues would have come up. Though. Now, of course, this episode would not be complete if we didn't talk about the fact that not everybody has the equipment uh, available at their own house to work from home. And so those kinds of things, um, companies that people work for really have to take on that responsibility. Do you have internet that can handle video calls? And, you know, people don't intuitively know like upload and download speed and which one's actually important for you to be on camera for your calls. It's upload speed. That's the spoiler. Um, And most things are, you know, very skewed for the ratio. You know, most of the time the upload speed is much, much lower. So people are ending up buying like, you know, $80 internet 
per month because they needed that upload speed. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a recognition from, you know, my company at the time, but certainly in general to just think about, well, what are we asking people to do to work remotely? And the way our company handled it was to say, you get a stipend per month, you know, it's for internet, you know, that's just something we know you have to have for this job. So you're going to get a stipend for that, Mm -hmm. you know, and it subsidized my internet, which was great. (laughs) So that was an awesome perk. Um, But it was also things like, you know, we're going to send you a laptop that we know meets the minimum requirements of what we need you to do for the job. And not just for like processing power, but you're going to be on camera. So it has to have a camera built in. That's pretty important, actually, when you're thinking about people being in that workspace. Um, And then, of course, they invested in the infrastructure, like we're going to make sure everyone has, um, we use Google, but they have like a way to do shared documents that everyone have the same system. You know, they use Skype for a while, switched over to Slack, but hey, we're on Slack now. That's Mm -hmm. what we're going to be using. Um, And, you know, that actually makes a huge difference when everyone's in the same platform. They're putting those pieces together and saying, hey, this isn't just an ad hoc, do what you want to. I like freedom too, but it's nice if everyone's on the same platform and can see each other's work. Yeah. You know, that makes a really big difference. Um, and then, you know, of course there's cultural things too, but you have to have some of those actual infrastructure pieces in place and be thoughtful about those because otherwise you have people who just say, well, I just got moved over into this position that's now remote. I don't have the internet to do this. This is now something that I have to upgrade my internet in order to do this job, or I have to buy a new computer to do this job. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a great introduction to remote work. I mean, all the other things can go wrong, but that's not a good one, right. even in isolation. It's it's uh it's like you're at the very base of the the uh, hierarchy of needs here, right? And there's so many different barriers that I think we don't think about in general. Um, you know, employers don't. I think in this transition to remote work, there was kind of this. You know, I think it's a bias. I mean, I'll just use that word. I think it's a bias that sort of everyone has access to the same level of I have a dedicated room that I can go for my work. You know, I have a quiet space with good internet. I have a computer that can handle these things and why wouldn't you, you know, it's, it's kind of this weird default position. And the answer is lots of people don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really conscious effort that any group that wants to move to remote needs to be conscious of. And I've seen it in say neighborhood meetings or, you know, testimony, like we talked about for public meetings that some people just can't come on a zoom call on their computer because they don't have a computer. They don't have a smartphone. Right. Like none of those options are going to work for them. And so they maybe are the person who dials in And there's not really recognition that they're losing out on a lot of what's being presented. You know, they can't see the slides. They can't see people's faces. Um, If they're trying to make a comment, they can't see the chat or put their note in saying, I would like to ask a question, you know, if they're queuing them up or something. And that's a barrier, Mm -hmm. you know, to being able to do that, even if you are technically able to dial in. Yeah, that's just really different. Yeah, you know, it can depend. So, you know, different different people will have different experiences. Um, You know, I have I have a primary computer for my primary company and then I have a secondary computer for my consulting company and so you know that can be a little bit weird and then um not that I experienced this issue but I know what um others who are in the same business suffer from which is networking issues actually prevents a lot more from happening than actual like software on the device so for example if you are at uh, Blue Enterprise, you may not be able to reach Slack, for example, inside of the Blue Enterprise network. Just no DNS resolution for you. And that could be a bummer. Uh, so one of the things they actually had to do, um, and this was in March, they actually did a big, big push in the first couple of weeks to get um, like a, an IP allow list. So conceptually... Uh, it's not quite a VPN because if you access that company's VPN, you get to do so little outside of the VPN network. So pulling NPM packages, for example, or connecting even to GitHub over SSH, impossible. You can't do it. Um, 
but if you're off network and you need to access a, a deployment system, you need to be able to do that, but you can't actually VPN in. So what they did is they um, allow listed it by IP address. So we have a little utility that um, lets you go through single sign-on uh, you know, with two-factor authentication and all, all that good stuff. And then after you do that, you get a credential that's valid for eight hours, so typical workday, and that will allow you to access many deployment systems uh, without having to go through VPN at all, which is great. And Ryan, you you never, ever let your workdays extend past eight hours, do you? Oh, no, never. Uh, I mean, I never have to repeatedly refresh my token multiple times a day. <laughs> Uh, well, they definitely had to ramp up our VPN so they could support, um, you know, thousands of people being online simultaneously versus just a couple of hundred. Um, so that that was something we, we've had remote meeting capability um, for as long as I've been there. So it was more scaling that up to support more people concurrently. Uh, they did accelerate some upgrades to that system as well as the onboarding of Microsoft Teams for meetings and things. So that, that kind of stuff scaled up. Uh, I think people had to find laptops. I know there was a little shortage there in March and April. Are you all like pretty strictly using work-provided computers to do work-related work? <laughs> uh, everyone on my team, yes. I do think some people are not in the business, I would assume. Um, they did have some questionnaires going around in... February, I think, around, um, do you have internet access at home? Yes or no. Do you have a personal computer? Yes or no. That kind of stuff. Um, so I think a couple, you know, I'm assuming some people who had desktops at work and they couldn't get a laptop would have to, they, they've had the option to install the work VPN on a personal device. So I'm guessing some of that hap has happened. It's also very important to think about what managers have to do differently in a work-from-home environment, and uh, Glenn had quite a few thoughts on that topic. A lot of the conversations right now about remote work are about if you're a remote employee. Like, mm. it's different from that model of, like, your boss doesn't trust you, like, what do you do, those kind of things, or how to make sure my boss doesn't think I'm slacking when I'm on a meeting, and, and those types of things. And I think there's the other side of it that, as a good manager, what is important in the online space too? You know, do you trust your employees to get their work done? Um, you know, one of the things that I always thought was really fascinating was like, I could tell within a few minutes if the person I'm talking to had done the stuff they were supposed to. <laughs> I mean, if you ask the right questions about something, you pretty quickly get past like the veneer level of everything's fine into, but you can't answer this basic question about whatever it was you need to be doing, or I know everyone else on the team ran into this particular problem, you didn't somehow inexplicably run into that same problem. Like those things come out very, very quickly if you have the right questions and you're thinking about those things uh, as a manager. Um, but there's also things that like you can do as a manager that just like terrify your employees okay. unintentionally. Um, so one of them, this is just a classic. So anyone who has like any work chat, if you're a manager, hi, Ian. Hi, Glenn. But nothing else. <laughs> just don't don't add any other detail. I mean, you just maybe got distracted or something, right? I mean, you just wandered away because, like, you know, I just I said hello and something popped up. But the person you're talking to, your employee, thinks, "Oh, I'm being fired. <laughs> like, <laughs> I must have done something horribly wrong if they just started like that." And what's the what's the ominous thing that's happening? You know, and it's I guess probably just maybe slightly worse, slightly better. It's around as bad though as you say, "Hey, do you have a minute to talk?" <laughs> 
you know, and just like leave it hanging there. Because if you were in person, you'd get some context, you know, it would be like a friendly wave. Hi, Ian. Mm -hmm. And you wander past or you'd be like, hey, you know, can we catch up a little bit later today? You wouldn't think like, oh, I really screwed something up or I'm going to be fired. But in that sort of remove from all the other signals environment, like Mm -hmm. it is in text, um, it gets pretty rough. And so we always had a joke. We had to train our managers to not do those things because they didn't realize how much it was terrifying everyone that reported to them. And they usually got better at it. Um, they were like, we were like, at the at the least, can you put like a fun emoji at the end? You know, so even <laughs> if like we are getting fired, at least there's like a friendly emoji, sure. and like we don't know that we're walking into that. Like <laughs> that would be helpful. Um, and we really we wanted though was to say like, hi Ian, I want to ask you about this thing. You know, like give us a little more context. So we know what it's about. And yeah. I think that's a really good lesson that if you don't have all these extra signals, you have to put them in text or with emojis or something else along those lines. Otherwise people assume the worst. You also as a manager need to show that you are paying attention to their work. You know, it's one thing Mm -hmm. to say that I am not just counting the number of hours that I notice that they're active in the chat. So I know that they're present in the office. I need to actually be paying attention to their work. You know, are they actually doing the things they need to be doing and show that you are, you know, like I said, like asking questions is partly to see like, is my employee doing the thing I want? But it's also to show interest and that you're paying attention to what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, whether it's, oh, I saw you really active in chat this week. I appreciate that. Or I saw you did this thing in this project we were talking about. Can you tell me a little more about why you did it this particular way? I had not thought of that. You know, can you talk me through that? Uh, and those kind of things I think are harder skills. I mean, it's a lot harder than just saying you punched in and punch out <laughs> for evaluating your employee, but it's also more meaningful to build a relationship with them. Yeah. So it's hard. It sounds like it's not just like the employees who are are feeling the need to show their work in a remote environment, but also the managers need to show their work of managing. Should anyway, yeah. certainly should. I'm not sure <laughs> they feel the pressure to, but they definitely should on that. Now, I definitely acknowledge that the perspectives in this episode so far have been heavily skewed by the fact that, yeah, I was a computer science major in college and So a lot of the people who I uh, interact with are are still uh, computer programmers. So they have just about the easiest job field to transition into a uh, remote working environment. But I I think the last thing I'll say, though, is it's definitely only a certain segment of the population Mm. that can do these things. You know, it's some jobs just are not going to be able to move remote. Just that's the bottom line. And most of those jobs are lower paid. You know, there are some that are on the other extreme. Like if you're a surgeon, you probably can't do that remotely for sure. Probably not. But most of them, you know, we talk about our essential workers, like a huge portion of those people um, during the pandemic who could not do their work remotely and had to keep going in and had to keep either driving or using transit. They worked in lower paid jobs, you know, so there's only something to be said for like, if you're a salaried white collar worker you're probably the people that are most likely to move over to a remote work situation. And I think it's just going to talk about that. Like, it's not always just like, oh, everyone's working remotely now. Like, no, no. I mean, maybe my group of people that I know, a lot of them are working remotely, but not everyone. Um, And I think that's something that I just sort of embrace on that too, because some of my employees still had to work in person. Most of them actually still did when I was in that position. And it was sort of like, oh yeah, you still have to drive places and be physically there. And you might have an issue with like a locked door and you know all these other kind of strange things. I was like, I don't deal with that at all anymore. And so I think there is just, we have to always be very conscious about like, even if we do get very comfortable with the idea of remote work and institutions do and businesses do, it's going to be really tough because not everyone's going to be in that position going forward. And that's, that's just a tough thing to grasp and keep in mind. 
when I've got a lot of friends around me in the service industry, in the retail industry, that have just lost their jobs, that have um, been indefinitely furloughed. And that is an aspect of this that is is difficult um, because the reality is my day-to-day hasn't fundamentally changed other than my surroundings. Um, and uh, for some industries, for some people, this is just simply not possible. Um, so I'm a, a lot of gratitude for it. But a lot, like I said, a lot of guilt too. That uh, it's it's a process dealing with it. I did manage to grab a hold of somebody who has uh, a business that, on the face of it, you might not expect to be very conducive to working from home. My name is Liz Hockman, and I am a certified birth doula, and I'm also a Lamaze certified childbirth educator. Um, I've been doing that for over a decade and I own a company called birth ed and it's located in Hopkins, Minnesota, which is right outside of Minneapolis, but, uh, now we're all virtual all the time. So I do kind of three pieces to my normal work day. Um, one of which is in-person classroom teaching, um, not in the classroom sense of like a elementary school or even a college level, but more like a um, really posh living room that I have about an 800 square foot studio that I use. And, um, you know, we have anywhere from 12 to 15 humans in the room at a time while they're learning childbirth education. And then the other parts of my job are um, in-person birth support. So I would go with people to their birth and be sort of like a coach. So that's what a doula is. So I would be in hospitals and uh, birth centers and home births, all different locations, but I would usually be in person, um, taking care of them physically, emotionally, informationally. Then the third part is lactation work. So I go to people's homes usually, and I help them with their lactation, getting um, their nursing of their children underway. And I do in-person home visits for that. Okay. Um, So yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of stuff in there that typically relies on being in person. Um, so what does your workday look like nowadays? Well, we had to get creative really quickly. Um, as we saw kind of the, <laughs> as we saw the writing on the wall and it was changing about, you know, March time, uh, I had a class that was in like a three session series. So, you know, they take three Sundays of four hours each. The first Sunday we were in person, The second Sunday, it was like, ooh, this is about to go down. And I had half of the room decide to stay home and watch virtually. So I had to set up a webcam in the middle of my space on a tripod, and I had half the class still there in person. So I was teaching in kind of a differentiated manner. Then by the end of that month in March, we were completely virtual. So I had to literally literally build an entire virtual classroom user interface Uh, which I had a dear friend build for me um, because I am not at all uh, skilled in that way. Uh, And then I had to go into a completely virtual setting classroom. So we are now all on Zoom for teaching. So they're using interactive tools with the user interface that my friend built for us. And then also um, doing Zoom and PowerPoint and watching videos and doing really interactive work like that. 
as far as dueling goes, that had to get really weird. <laughs> um, because part of the service that I offer is that I'm offering hands-on support, showing people how to take care of their birthing person or squeezing some hips or rubbing a back or bringing cold cloths to people's foreheads. And instead of that, I had to figure out a way. And so what I did was um, I literally was on FaceTime or Duo with the family on their phone on a mini tripod that they moved around the room with them. Mm. And I stayed on my phone with them for the entirety of the birth. So eight hours of staring at a screen that when I needed to go to eat or use the bathroom or something, I would, uh, you know, put it on mute and take my video off, set it down, go do that thing and come back. So I was dueling in my house, which is challenging when you have children because they're yeah. like, mom, can I have breakfast? And I'm like, she's pushing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of funny in that way, but it worked. Um, I wish I could have put my hands on them to help them, but I was able to instruct on how to do that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lactation has gotten really interesting. So uh, the family will usually pick up a scale off my front porch, take it to their house. And then I have them walk through the lactation visit with me on a, a Zoom or FaceTime call where I'm literally helping them latch their baby after they've weighed them on my scale that's in their house and using the visit in that way. So everything is different now. Yeah, that's I'm impressed that you were able to find ways to to make all of these things work and and, um, you know, not not kind of leave anything behind. Yeah, I mean, in my, you know, in my opinion, like, yes, we can have a pandemic, but babies are still being born. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I just felt like there's no option to to just say, ah, we can't do it anymore. So I just didn't ever consider that I wasn't going to be finding a way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as as they said in uh, Jurassic Park, life finds a way. <laughs> it, it certainly does. You're still going to have a baby in a pandemic. It's just going to look and feel very different than when you didn't have to wear masks through your yeah. labor and things like that. Yeah. Whenever, whenever like me or any of my brothers have our birthday, you know, and, and my mom loves telling the story oh, of she our tells birth, the like, birth story. Oh, you too. know, like kids who were born in 2020, they're going to oh. have like the best birth stories. <laughs> yeah. I was born in a pandemic and, you know, no one could be there. And, you know, your, your father couldn't leave the room. He had to wear a mask. It's going to mm. be that. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, we're also navigating not only the fact that uh, we've got lots of people working from home, but also the fact that schools, daycares are closed. And so uh, a lot of these um, workers are also having to uh, provide their own childcare at home at the same time, which has created some challenges. I'm fortunate because unlike some other people in this working space, I don't have small children. My children are 13 and 10. So basically, I'm more often telling them to get off of their tech than they are bothering me (laughs) while I'm doing my job. Uh, But at one point, you know, they were doing virtual school in the living room. My husband was uh, working in the garage, like in March and April in a coat (laughs) so that he could have quiet. And I was down here in the basement where I am now because we all had to be in a quiet work environment and I couldn't be on a call while they're in class mm-hmm. hearing about me asking about people's lactation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it got, it got hairy for a minute, but um, I will say it's actually a benefit that I have an older child because what I do is previously in class, I would be 
actually doing demonstrations where people would do the comfort measures that I'm teaching for birth in the classroom. So we're squeezing hips and we're showing different positions and holds and things like that. Well, I have my 13 year old come over, put a pillow in her shirt, and she's my model <laughs> <laughs> for class so I can show people what to do. Um, because I had forgotten, like, if they're not here and I can't show on a person, then how am I going to show this thing in real life and explain how, where the body moves and all that? So she gets paid $5 per class to come and be my model. <laughs> there you go. I do have three children at home. So I try through the working day to stay as focused as possible. Um, I have the good fortune or maybe just mystic foresight of um, my wife's full-time job is uh, being the mother to our children. So fortunately, neither her nor I have lost our jobs. They've just both gotten harder. Right. My whole team here, uh, a seven-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, or almost one-year-old, have really been able to respect this, the space that we that we have set up. As long as the work is getting done and I'm meeting when I need to meet, I'm free to work early morning, late night. So I've been free to take my lunches with my family early in the quarantine. Uh, my oldest kid learned to ride his bike while I was on lunch breaks. Nice. Um, I mean, it's really been a blessing. Um, my, my kid's uh, names. I, I actually just realized this the other day. Uh, Walter, Fred, and Harriet, uh, their initials are work from home. <laughs> it was an easy switch for me into this framework where I work when I work. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing it this way the whole time. Um, it's easy for me to, you know, sit down and do some admin, you know, at nine o'clock at night. And that's no problem because no one else is relying on me in an eight to five time frame. Mm -hmm. Aside from so like that, your, your scheduled classes and things like that. Exactly. But those are going to be yep. scheduled no matter what. Exactly. And so the scheduled classes, um, I'm actually finding more agility with the virtual setting because this in July, uh, we got to capacity in our Sunday class and I had a choice to make. It was like, okay, do I let this get bigger than I would in when it's in my physical space because I'm limited by the four walls? Or do I build another class in that month to catch the overflow? And I'm just so, so keen on quality. I, I don't feel like there's, I think greed can come into it. Like, oh, let's just pile all these in here and make some extra money. It'll be fine. I can put 12, 13 couples in a class. You know, that's 26 people on a Zoom call mm -hmm. for four hours. And I just thought, no, I still care about quality. I still care about knowing their story and who they are and what's going on with their life. And so I was able to quickly pivot and add a second series for the month because I wasn't limited by who's using my space at that time or one of my sub renters or leasers in the space. And my co-teacher was like, sure, I'll teach on a Saturday afternoon. And we were able to create two small quality groups instead of having this one massive not work for anybody lacking in quality group. I finished off each of the interviews by asking once this is all over, once we are able to go back to working in person, um, would you like to go back to working in an office or have you come to enjoy the working from home experience? So let's hear what my guests had to say. 
with the signups occurring like I'm getting for class registrations, I'm learning that it's possible I had an untapped market before this. I had always fought against online modules, but I had never considered live virtual class. Mm. And so I actually think I will never stop doing a form of live virtual class. Like I can see myself doing, there's a monthly virtual class and there's a monthly in-person class and you can pick which one you want to do. Because I'm reaching people I didn't reach before and I'm reaching farther than I was able to reach before. Like I live in, I live in Hopkins. My business is in Hopkins. I'm getting people from Stillwater, Northfield, Baldwin, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. when previously no way they would drive, you know, on a Sunday, an hour to get to me and an hour to go home. So I think it's probably going to always stay some way. I can't wait to teach in person though. Oh yeah. (laughs) I I love it. My jokes are way funnier in person. That's 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 what I'll tell everybody from now on when they uh when they don't laugh at you know the things that I say in my podcasts. Yep. I would like to probably continue working from home at least many days a week. I would be interested to see how it would work if um you know everything else was open but the only thing is I was working from home but then I could still socialize with coworkers and friends and family outside of work. Like that that might be a different dynamic when there's not this looming everything is remote everything is by yourself kind of a thing going on. Honestly, I think I'm going to stay working from home for the most part. Um, I would like to have the ability to go into the office um, if possible, but I think at this point I'm past the hurdles of some of the difficulties of working from home. I've just adapted to those. And at this point I'm so used to my life now that I just don't really see the point in going back to an office. I, I would get more exercise, I guess, because I would be walking farther to go to the bathroom. But that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> that's, I think that's the first time I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah, there will definitely be things that I want to use the office for. Like, hey, let's, let's, go do, uh, let's go do a knowledge transfer session let's go uh i'll go use a whiteboard together for a day um but the day-to-day work i am grateful to have my commute time back (laughs) um that is that said i do miss my podcast time (laughs) so thanks for spending your podcast time with us here on the extra dimension today I have been your host, Ian R. Buck. You can find me on Twitter as Ian R. Buck. Our guests this episode were Brian Mitchell, Emma Sachs, Glenn Johnson, Liz Hotchman, Ryan Rampersad, and Zach Scalco. You can find information about connecting with any of them on our show notes at thenexus.tv slash TED55. This episode is released under a Creative Commons attribution license, so feel free to use any or all of it as you see fit, as long as you link back to the original page, which once more is thenexus.tv slash TED55. If you would like to discuss this episode with other listeners, please go to our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash thenexustv. 
The Extra Dimension is supported by listeners like Quentin Pongratz, who voluntarily joined us on Patreon. Thank you so much, Quentin. And don't forget to join us next month on The Extra Dimension, where we are going to be talking about distance learning from a multitude of different perspectives. Until next time, have a good one. The Nexus, the Nexus, the Nexus TV podcasts from, from the, the technological, technological convergence. convergence. You are about to become obsolete. You think you are special, unique, and that whatever it is that you are doing is impossible to replace. You are wrong. As we speak, millions of algorithms are frantically running on servers all over the world with one sole purpose do whatever humans can do, but better. But all is not lost. Look for the audiobook, Robots Will Steal Your Job, But That's Okay, at thenexus.tv, or by searching in your favorite podcast player.